and uh, thank you to the SALT team. It's nice to actually be back in person and kind of interacting with people, you know, not having to worry about whether you're on mute, whether, you know, you've, you've got pants on. So this is live. We're all back in person. Uh, we have an exciting topic. It's alternative data. Um, I'm Tim Harrington, CEO of Battlefin. Our mission has always been to help uh, source, evaluate, test, and find data sets for the financial and corporate community. Um, we're really excited. Uh, Skybridge is a new investor in Battlefin, so uh, really excited to be working with Anthony, John, Joe, the whole team, um, and really excited to be sharing alternative data with the audience. So uh, why don't we get started? We'll do a couple quick intros, try to make it as informative as possible. So uh, Carrie, tell us a little about yourself and SimilarWeb. Okay, great. So first of all, I'm very excited to be here. As Tim said, it's just, it's nice to be able to interact with people again. I didn't realize how exhausting it is though, I will say, forgot about that. Um, but just as by way of introduction, my name is Carrie Lazarchak and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer of a company called SimilarWeb. First of all, to our clients in the audience, I wanna say thank you very much for your business. And for those of you that aren't familiar with SimilarWeb, uh, our mission is pretty simple. We want to help companies win in their market. And um, the way that we do that is we measure the, we measure the digital world. We measure, um, we look at the trends across both consumer trends and business trends across millions of digital properties globally. And we provide that insight and information uh, back to our customers through a very easy to use um, platform and visualization. Now, Tim was very clear that the big thing people want to know is how and where and what kind of data, et cetera, which obviously some of that's the secret sauce, but I'll try to break it down into a little bit of the art and a little bit of the science. The science is we have a lot of data. Um, we're processing about 10 billion digital signals a day, uh, about two terabytes of data daily that we analyze. Uh, but the art of it is really in how we blend all of the data sources. And those sources are a combination of direct analytics uh, data uh, and anonymized traffic data, partnerships that we have in public data. And we combine that all together with uh, machine learning and unique algorithms and then deliver that to our clients, like I said, through a very easy to use visualization platform. And I think that's a key thing we'll talk a little bit about today. There's a lot of data out there. I think the, the key for this audience is to really understand how to consume that data and how to use that data uh, towards all of your objectives. So really excited to be here and look forward to being part of this panel. Great, and SimilarWeb went public recently, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you, um, thank you very much. We've been following you guys for years. Uh, I know you've had some of, Finally. The best, <laughs> some of the best Netflix calls I've ever seen oh, on subscriber great. growth. Uh, for those of you that follow Netflix, you know, huge subscriber growth story, started to fade, you guys called it, then International took off, called it again. So, you know, kudos on that. Really um, awesome, awesome data set for you guys and the audience to check out. Uh, Rodney, tell us a little bit about Visible Alpha. Yeah, thank you, Tim. So Rodney Peterson, Chief Revenue Officer with Visible Alpha. Uh, Visible Alpha came to the market about five years ago to address a pretty significant gap that we saw in consensus estimates or forecast data for publicly traded companies. Um, all of you have seen this play out if you've ever read the Wall Street Journal. Uh, company expectations were always made available at a high level, so sales or EPS, uh, and never at a granular level. 
But the investment debate and the investment thesis is always about more granular issues with companies. And the sell-side analysts that contributed to those revenue and earnings forecasts have always modeled companies at a greater degree of depth. It was just never information that was made available at scale. So Visible Alpha came to the market to expose that content and bring value to that content in ways that hadn't been done before. Um, so we source data from full working Excel models from the sell side. We extract all of the data from those models and align it into a common structure for a publicly traded company. Uh, we too process a lot of data. I think on a trailing three month basis, we process about 90,000 models from the sell side. It's about 6,000 contributing sell side analysts and ultimately give the buy side uh, the most comprehensive picture into the market forecasts for any key issue on a company. Great. And I've read a bunch of your work. I think you had an airline piece out recently. I had no idea how many KPIs are actually in the airline industry, or key performance <laughs> indicators. But um, once again, if you follow the airlines, like check out that report, pretty awesome. And a, a man who needs no introduction, but will let you give one, Matt, over to you. Thank you. So I'm uh, Matt Ober. I'm the chief data scientist at Third Point. We're about a $20 billion asset manager investing across equity, structured credit, um, and venture investments. And our team looks to take data and technology to provide insights into you know, the different investments we make. Great. And Matt and I actually met years and years ago when he was at WorldQuant, uh, was one of the first people to attend some of the Battlefin events in Miami. So it's great to be back on stage with you after whatever, you. five or seven years. So, uh, but let's dig right in. Um, you know, I think the space has seen a tremendous amount of growth, you know, email receipt data, geolocation, satellite imagery. Um, you know, Rodney, from your perspective, what, what's been the real growth driver? What have you guys kind of been seeing from that this space? I think it starts with a fact, which is that the buy side has to have a differentiated view to outperform, and they have to do that on a sustained basis. If anybody sat in on the, the hedge fund comeback panel yesterday with Steve Cohen and Dimitri Baliasny, that was a key theme that, that came out of it. And I think that the expansion of data that's been made available in the marketplace over the last 10 years, uh, which Visible Alpha has certainly been a part of, um, has made it possible for the investment manager to get much more specific and much more granular in how they come up with an investment thesis, how they challenge the thesis, and ultimately how they monitor that thesis in real time. Um, and I think those that have done the best job at embracing uh, this data that's come to market have really put themselves in a position to use data in a way that will allow them to outperform. Uh, and it's been been fun to be a part of. Yeah. And Matt, does that jive? Is that are you guys hearing a lot of pull from analysts? Are you guys, you know, you know, seeing that from the the analyst perspective of I need more data, I need more answers, or, or how does it play out from a buy side perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think from our standpoint, all of this data just allows us to go deeper into our research on individual companies, um, and I think we're able to extract more insights. We have a really strong team, and I think at this point, it's becoming, you know part of the playbook that you have to take advantage of working with these great companies um, and figuring out how to leverage that across all the different investments we make, um, whether it's earlier in the private stage before they go public or you know further along. And I think um, just being able to distill insights from these large data sets is really the uh, difficult part of the investment process, but it's where we find the true value. 
And Carrie, we had talked a little bit about this. Do you guys feel a lot of pull for like this real-time data? I mean, especially given the, the COVID environment and where we're coming out of, is that is there really a, a pull from the buy side and corporates to, you know, now, now, now? Yeah, I mean, I think to answer that direct question, the answer is yes. Um, it's definitely one of the main value propositions of, of our solution today in that, you know, whether you want to understand right now at this moment, what are the major keywords that consumers are looking for to understand where they're going, or you want to observe and understand what are the major purchase decisions that people are making on Amazon Marketplace right now at this minute, yeah. we definitely see that as a trend. I mean, I'm curious for this audience, maybe by a show of hands, like how many of you use alternative data today? Yeah. Okay. All right. So More than we thought. yeah, it's a bit, okay. So my my first I think um, piece of feedback when we started talking about this whole panel and alternative data is to me alternative data is a very weird name for the space because I think as these guys just said it's more necessity data. And, and really what it comes down to now is like, how do you use that data? How do you consume all this real-time information? But definitely the acceleration of digital transformation is making the need for understanding what's happening right now at this moment more important. Yeah. Um, and maybe to Rodney, as a you know recovering portfolio manager, and you, you mentioned Steve, like <laughs> I worked at SAC and I remember earnings season being one of the most intense things because you know, you were, you had your models, you were waiting for things to come out. You were kind of, you're, you were right or wrong in that instance. Um, and I always thought about, you know, consensus was our bogey, you know? So if, if our model was a lot higher, then, you know, we'd figure out what the Delta is, put a multiple on it and position size it, um, you know, trying to think about how to navigate through COVID, um, you know, I can't even imagine the disparity of analysts. Like, what what did you guys see from the visible alpha side? You know, aggregating all of these data sets. I mean, the, the these different estimates. And you know, where are we now? Yeah, it's a great question. It's been really interesting to watch the data as we've gone through COVID. And with forecast data, irrespective of the issue that you're looking at, what you usually see is well ahead of the reporting period. Estimates are relatively wide. And then as you approach the reporting period and companies release more information, uh, spreads narrow and, and there's less uncertainty in the marketplace. Um, but as you look across sectors, 18 to 20 months into this environment, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, that we see in forecast data. Uh, you mentioned airlines earlier. We were actually looking at airlines, travel and leisure companies in the US a couple of weeks ago. And we were comparing dispersion and estimates today versus what the dispersion and estimates look like pre-COVID. And today, estimates are actually three and a half times wider. There's three and a half times more dispersion and estimates uh, in September of 2021 than there was for a similar forecast horizon pre-COVID. So I'm not telling anybody probably something you don't intuitively know, which is we're in a more uncertain world. Um, but understanding the magnitude of that uncertainty has been, been interesting. And, and Matt, does that help your analysts, hurt your analysts? What do you guys uh, feel when you see this like dispersion of, of analyst estimates? Yeah, well, I mean, I think volatility uh, presents opportunity, right? And when there's unknowns, it allows us to have a differentiated view. And having all of this information allows our team to do a deeper dive, better understand the company, the KPIs, and really understand, you know, what is it that we're seeing in real time? And I think that's become a big trend 
especially during COVID with all the digital transformation we're seeing across all companies in every sector, having information at our fingertips, um, understanding what's happening when we're all at home, it's you know beyond important. And Carrie, following up on that, you know, disparity opportunity, do you guys tend to get more calls or more interest when things are all over the place and then you can add value a lot more in those situations? Or, or what do you think on the, you know, kind of disparity like this, this happening? Does that, does that play well for you guys? I'd, I'd say the message we hear is twofold, um, from the, both from the companies and from this audience. Mm -hmm historical data is not as relevant anymore. So a lot of times people are just setting it to the side and saying whatever we whatever used to be the trend, mm -hmm. just assume it's not going to be the trend and start with fresh new data. So we are seeing a lot of people come to us, come to the platform, not spend as much time on the historical data, but really trying to understand what are the more recent trends and then try to correlate those trends to how how that may look in the future. So we're definitely seeing that both from companies trying to build strategies and from this audience who are really trying to track performance and, and understand what's happening. Great. And uh, on some of the calls prior to this, we, we discussed a couple names just because it's obviously a, a financial community here. Um, the one that we wanted to take a look at first was Peloton, just giving kind of you know so much going on in that name. Um, Rodney, set the stage for us. Uh, give us the, you know, the view on Peloton and what's, what's happening here. Yeah, well, just to the conversation earlier, I think the, the first question is about revenue, but it's really about much more granular issues. And so we see analysts kind of grappling with a few different issues with Peloton. Uh, one is new unit deliveries, which is something that we track in Visible Alpha. So how many people are going to buy bikes and treadmills that didn't already purchase them? And there's actually a pretty wide dispersion of estimates for the coming quarters when you look at that. And I think this quarter will be the first quarter where we see results on the lower cost products that Peloton's put out in the marketplace. Um, so pretty big spread in estimates there, a lot of uncertainty. And uh, another key question that we see in the models is churn in their subscription business. So as people contemplate going back to gyms and maybe working out uh, less at home and more at the gym, uh, there's a decent amount of uncertainty on how much churn Peloton's going to see in the quarters to come in their subscription model. Yeah. And Matt, how do you how do you guys key in on that? Is that um, I don't even know if Peloton's a name that you guys look at fairly frequently, but you know, is it is it also just trying to pick up trends within that space, or will you guys dive right down into the you know kind of a single stock name? Yeah, I think for us, we kind of think about it even in the fitness industry in general, right? With Peloton kind of being that first mover in the digital transformation, you know, how are they getting their bikes? What does that supply chain look like? How does the data at the ports look? And then really, how does that look for all the gyms across the country? Not only, you know, the large chains, but some of the boutiques. And we kind of think about that as kind of a way to gauge how people are thinking about COVID, right? And it has a larger impact on just macro trends. So I think we kind of see even individual companies as ways to look at uh, broader sectors um, that may not be you know, specifically related, but it helps us just uh, map out our thought process. Great. And Carrie, over to you. What's, what's the data going to tell us here? Well, first of all, I find this a very biased area because I'm a huge Peloton user. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but when you're uh, tracking investments for the companies you like, you kind of want to root for them. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Peloton for sure. Um, I think the one area of our data that's kind of interesting right now is we can see 
you know, one of the things that they've, that they've been trying to do is really expand the market share, expand the audience of people that can have access to their services and their products. And they introduced this buy now, pay later model, which is something that's new, right? So it's something, it's a, it's definitely a new set of data that you have to look at because now you're not getting that immediate view of exactly the people that's, that have purchased the, the, the equipment, but the people that are purchasing the equipment and, and being able to track that. And I think that's going to be an interesting insight that we see we do see positive trends around that as a new um as a new consumer opportunity uh and a new expansion of their market capabilities yeah and once again i think this is also why alternative data is so important because you're able to look at what similar web's saying you're able to you know look at how maybe the brand is trending you're able to see you know anything from geolocation um, are people returning back to those gyms? Are they doing different things? So, you know, just as we've talked about earlier, you know, being able to, you know, combine some of these data sets and get a full picture and, you know, leverage kind of the visible alpha detail is just so important going forward. Yeah. And Tim, I think that also highlights uh, a significant shift from where we were 10 to 15 years ago with data, just in the intelligence that you can get intra-period as to what's happening with a business. And I don't think that's just limited to people that are trading in the shorter term. Anybody that's looking for insight into a business can get a lot of really interesting signals of what's happening um, in real time. We actually see with our models data, 40% of all the models that we process come from the sell side outside of earnings. Um, so if you think about, we process 90,000 models on a trailing three-month basis, 40% of every data point that we process is not around earnings. That's a lot of information flow that's happening in real time. Yeah. And let's turn to Zoom. This is obviously one that everyone has probably lived through, you know, the past 18 months. You know, we've we've seen probably one of the greatest success stories of a right time, right place type yeah. of, of company. Um, Rodney was like, was this from zero to 100 and, you know, set the stage for us with with Zoom. And then let's kind of, you know, talk yeah. through it from a data perspective. Um, yeah, the debate that we see in the models on Zoom is sort of your classic software uh, debate, which is what will their new client acquisition look like going forward? How many new customers can they attract that didn't already come onto the Zoom platform? Um, the second question, which is probably more significant for the business, which is how can they expand revenue from their existing client base with some of the new products that they have coming to market? And just like I talked about with Peloton, but any key issue for a subscription business is churn. And so as people are going back to work, back to the office, will companies start to pare back on their uh, Zoom subscriptions and Zoom accounts? Uh, just like with Peloton, there's a wide dispersion of views on those topics. Um, and actually with um, the customer count numbers, Zoom had a long history of beating visible office consensus for net new customer additions until last quarter was the first time that they had missed. So I think there's uh, a lot of uncertainty that's been introduced there and it'd be fascinating to watch it play out. Yeah, and it seems, I mean, this highlights kind of some of your data, like it seems like the story is changing as well. You know, so you've got um, what people think about the traditional Zoom, you know, subscription. Mm -hmm. Now they start layering on, you know, the telephone offering, which is, you know, two or three times the, the ARPU. So, you know, having the ability to drill down and say, okay, you know, year over year comps are getting tougher and tougher. And I think we talked about it and it wasn't until like really 20. difficult comps for what they yeah. achieved last year, for sure. 
yeah so like maybe it's not next year even to 2023 or, or wherever it is so you know how are you gonna be able to figure out what the next step is and what what's working and what's not and I remember as an investor, you never wanted to see decelerating comps in a tech company. So that was always a warning. But now you've got this whole, you know, telephone side, high margin, high, you know, probably lower customer acquisition cost. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Matt, any perspectives on, on Zoom? I think for us, Zoom, you know, it's a great way to gauge the work from home and the hybrid workforce. And are we going back into the office? So rather than focus on it just as a single company itself, it really gives us a sense of, you know, what's going to happen with business travel? Are people coming back into the office? Are we all moving to this work from home hybrid? So is that kind of the new standard? Um, so I think that's been one of the big things on our mind and what a lot of people are watching Zoom for uh, outside of just how Zoom's doing on its own. Um, and I think with these tools that we have now, whether it's Visible Alpha or similar web, like, we have so many more tools at our disposal that it makes us more efficient to be able to look at that quickly and you know get a good sense of where we're moving. Gotcha. And Carrie, what's the what's the data telling us? Uh, well, first, I, I think it's a really interesting space to watch right now um, for, for two reasons. One, I think one thing that we see with alternative data, often you can watch an industry and use what you see happening in one industry to correlate to another industry. So that's one thing. Specifically, as it relates to Zoom, I think it's interesting, the, the comment you made about the phone and, you know, they've been very clear about a strategy to really go after unified communication, broaden the, the range for which they're providing services to companies. In some way, I think the delays and the get back to the office are going to work to their advantage. It's going to give them more time to condition what is an audience that they have a lot of attention with right now on the opportunities to continue to use Zoom and to use some of Zoom's new offerings. I know they did an acquisition recently of Five Nines, which is interesting to watch and see what happens there. Um, so I'd say it's a great space to watch. I think there's other correlating industries to some of the points that were made here that you can also look at what's happening in those trends, whether it's business travel and some of those things and correlate the speed and rate at which we think people will start to come back to the office and whether that's going to have more of an impact for Zoom specifically. But right now, I think they have a, I think they have a really good opportunity because the more people are home and the more people get used to being at home, I think the more businesses are going to accommodate a hybrid structure going forward and that's going to work to their advantage. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting. So you don't really think about, you're probably not getting rid of your Zoom account. You're exactly. always going to have it. It's just a, a new yeah. way of life. But at the same time, you know, as with everything, it's, you know, earnings expectations, are they going to continue to grow, things like that. Um, and now, I guess one of the things, like, we constantly get pinged from different, um, you know, buy-side clients on on the bigger themes. So, whereas alternative data um, can be great very much on a company-by-company -company basis, um, you know, I think it, it's also incredibly important right now when you think about, you know, some of the, the larger investment themes, whether it's inflation, um, like Matt touched on the work from home trends, um, you know, unemployment with some of the things happening there. Um, you know, I guess, Rodney, as you look to 2022 and, you know, kind of see across the different analysts out there, what are what are some of those themes that, that you guys are keying in on for next year? Yeah, we, um, we actually put out a blog post a couple of weeks ago on inflation on our website. And did a little bit of what Matt was talking about, which is um, looking at company data as an indicator for something broader. 
And so we looked for companies in our data set that have significant exposure to the lumber industry, uh, which lumber has been a key talking point in the uh, pricing debate, and then uh, companies with exposure to used cars. Um, so Warehouser is one of the larger lumber producers in the world. All the analysts that model that company forecast uh, lumber prices well into the future. Uh, analysts correctly predicted that lumber prices would peak in Q2 and begin to taper off. But what was interesting to observe is that analysts are actually forecasting by the end of 2022 for lumber prices to remain 80% above pre-pandemic levels. Hmm. Um, and that uh, doesn't feel so transitory. Um, and those expectations may play out to be correct. They may not play out to be correct. But as all of you work to formulate your own views on inflation, how it impacts your businesses, your investments, there's some interesting signals that you can look for uh, in data like uh, company-oriented uh, data. The other thing that we looked at was Carvana, which is uh, one of the larger providers uh, or larger sellers of used cars. Um, in the inflation uh, readings that came out this morning, there was a slight uh, deceleration in inflation um, and used car pricing had come down. What's interesting in those models is the consensus for used car pricing next quarter is 11%. But if you look under the hood, the spread is negative 2% all the way up to 20% growth year over year in used car prices. Um, consensus is actually really probably a bad descriptor for that. It's really more of a range of estimates uh, into the point that we've been talking about in this panel. I think it highlights uncertainty and, and to what Matt said, where there's uncertainty, there's opportunity. Yeah, I mean, just the, the auto sector in general, to leverage alternative data for trading that in the last 12 to 24 months has been, I mean, looking at like even the Fords that have had these huge accelerations, you know, stocks performed really well, raised numbers. Next thing you know, you see supply chain issues, you see chip shortages, right. like all of a sudden you're back, you know, nine to 15 to 12. So like layering on alternative data can be so, you know, powerful. I guess, Matt, as you looked at 2022, any blind spots, any things that you're looking for data for to help, you know, kind of answer these different questions? I think it's some of the topics that we've just been touching on. It's, you know, watching the supply chain, seeing how that's going to be affected around the world. I think the digital transformation we saw, you know, accelerated during COVID. I think we think that's going to continue to accelerate and looking at how do we better track that? Um, you know, we have a huge presence at this conference in digital assets. How is digital assets going to affect all of these different sectors, whether it's you know, cryptocurrencies, DeFi, the metaverse. Um, so I think for us, it's just being able to look at all these sources and think about it not only in the public markets, but also private companies as we invest earlier. Is there is there a big disparity in terms of the data sets that you look for or you, that you currently work with on the private side versus the public, or they kind of cross over to both? I think a lot of them cross over to both. I think, you know, SimilarWeb is a great example that, they're covering all these companies as they move more and more digitally, and we're able to see them earlier and earlier. Um, so for a company like ours, it helps our analysts know who the potential disruptors are to the public markets. Um, so I would say it's exciting to see a lot of the data providers we've been using for many years kind of expand the universe that they're covering. Interesting. And what, what stage do you guys look at? Is it early stage? Is it more, you know, series B, C, D, like... Um, where, where do you guys kind of get into Typically it? Series B and uh, further along the way. Okay. 
And yeah, because I'd imagine like the, the private world is so much different than the public world. Just, I mean, Rodney, you guys I don't do any private stuff, correct? No, everything that we cover is, is publicly traded equities. Um, I will say that we work with uh, a relatively small number of private equity firms that look for insight uh, in publicly traded equities for the impact on private markets. But yeah, we, we cover publicly traded equities. And Kerry, you guys, it sounds like from Matt, you cover both. And like yeah. you, is it is it corporate or is it also, you know, kind of the PE and VC firms? And All the above. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the you know, one of the key reasons people come to Similar Web is because you can see consumer trends. You can see broad market trends, consumer behavior trends, like I said, in real time. And it's it's applicable to all segments. Um, so I, th I, I think Matt said it very well, actually. Um, yeah. And I know we're, we're running out of time, but, you know, kind of speed round closing. <laughs> um, we want the we want the audience to walk away, you know, smarter thinking alternative data is the answer. So, you know, Carrie, if you if you had if you wanted to have, you know, those bullet points, what would they be in, in the minds of the audience to walk out of here with? Uh, I think one of the most interesting uh, things to consider right now is the movement of a lot of legacy brands to D2C. Um, we see very interesting correlations of data when you look at like our technographics information and the number of classic, you know, indirect, uh, companies look, you know, implementing technologies like Shopify and e-commerce B2B software. There's a huge trend towards more direct and consumer relationship. We hear it from the customers directly when we talk to them about how they're using our data yeah. because they want to understand what's the demand and what's the trends. And we see a lot of investment there. So I think the B2B software space is a very interesting space to watch. And I think the trend to D2C is going to really create a new dynamic of and a new area of data that people are going to need to evaluate companies. And one thing, um, I mean, when we started Battlefin, it was very quant driven. So a lot of the quant funds were the first ones to kind of engage because they could kind of understand you know, the, the various data sets. And it was just like, give me everything, you know, like just throw the data at me. I don't want your, you know, any insight relative to it. Um, and then we saw kind of like a, an evolution where the fundamental funds and even some of the corporates were coming in and trying to understand it. Um, and I think one thing that you guys seem to have done a good job of was, you know, I don't know, I don't know I call it mapping it to tickers, but actually talking about things in terms of companies and public companies and you know have, have, when you guys did that did you guys start to see more traction because it seems like it's a lot easier for us to talk about you know peloton and and different kpis than it is to kind of say okay here's the algo here's the machine learning answer um so you know from that perspective did you guys see kind of a jump in in attention and traction once you did that um First of all, I think we're starting to do more of that. So I think one area that you'll see from similar web, and if you know, I think my solutions head is here. He'll tell you you'll see more and more information from similar web that looks at ticker symbol uh, tickers themselves and and aggregates the data for you. But it really depends who the audience is and what you're looking for. Um, so, but yes, I think we'll do more and more of that. We have more and more demand for that, so you will see that. But obviously, because we also play in the in the private space, there's people that are just coming to look for the trends and understand yeah. who's the next big player in this in, in any given market, and we provide insights to that as well. Rodney, speed round, minute left. You've got 
you and Matt Lightning take us round. home. Yeah. Um, the first thing that I would say is a lot of people think about data and acquiring new data sets as a strategy to come up with better ideas. And that's certainly valid. I would encourage everybody to think about your data strategy also as looking for data that will challenge your views. And I think the more that you can find data that will challenge your own views, ultimately the greater conviction you can have in your ideas uh, and a better probability of differentiating in the long run. So that's one really important thing. The second thing that I would say is, I think it's very rare that a single data set is going to give you a lot of really great answers. And ultimately where I think people like Matt have created opportunity is by connecting data sets in very meaningful ways uh, that, you know, similar web and visible alpha, uh, maybe we should, but we don't really talk yeah. to one another. We don't, uh, <laughs> We're gonna... <laughs> we, we don't uh, create linkages between our data sets. So uh, the managers that invest the time and the energy to create meaningful connections between data sets can uncover insights that others will never see. And I think that's an important part of any data strategy and encourage everybody to, to think about that. Matt, bring us home. I just think, you know, in the last 10 years, if we think about where we've come with data and hedge funds, it's become a staple. It's no longer alternative, kind of like Harry said. And working with these strong providers, these are great companies that are out there and we don't have to do everything ourselves. Makes our team more efficient, allows us to dive deeper into understanding companies and what data can really, you know, uncover unknowns. And I think the opportunity is, you know, only growing with all of this unique data that's out there. Great. We have 50 of probably the most amazing alternative data providers down on the fourth floor doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. So if you have an investment thesis, you want to figure out inflation, you have a company, you know, come down, join us, ask the questions. Uh, thank you guys. Great, great panel. Thank you. And look forward to seeing the rest of the conference. Yeah, thank you.